podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Alright, welcome to the 74th episode of the What If Football Podcast today. The Champions League is back, so we are going to take a deep dive into another Champions League season. Of course, we have got to rename this series after what was formerly known as a certain oil company. This is now called Le Grandes Equipes. 1998-1999. Let's get stuck straight in. Hello, yes, and we are on patreon.com forward slash what if football. If you do like nostalgic podcasts like these, we do a couple a week. We do a great games podcast where we take a look at absolutely superb games of football, a couple of which from this series in the Champions League could have been um, could have been easily transplanted into one of those. We also Compare and contrast teams, players, managers in head-to-head and in a combined 11 where we smash two teams together and create an 11, a dream 11. And also we have got the story of my season, which yesterday we looked at a successful European champion in Inter Milan, of course, from 2010. So check that out if you don't already have our Patreon page. It is £1 a month for all of that supremely good content over there, just for 4p per piece of content, weekly columns as well, other alternate football universes, which we do on the on the old YouTube, of course. And this is the Sports Social Podcast Network. We are here every Wednesday. Barclays, Le Grandes Equipes. It's going to take a while for me to get used to that one and other Naughties nostalgia stuff. We're nearly in the naughties here, so I suppose this could kind of be the naughties nostalgia podcast. Almost a return to that. So let's get stuck right in. The holders in 1998 were Real Madrid. Yup, he he'd won the Champions League, hadn't he? He'd beaten Juventus 1-0. Juventus, who... Safe to say, were controlling European football almost. They'd appeared at three European finals in a row. And because Real Madrid finished fourth, Jupp Hankers, just simply, is not at the Bernabeu anymore. Gus Hiddink is in charge and he wouldn't last the season. Um, meanwhile, in Real Madrid's group, we've got Inter Milan, we've got Spartak Moscow, we've got Sturm Graz as well. Ronaldo had dragged Inter Milan into his in second place in his very first season in Italy and um, his 34 goals in his 1997-98 debut season. The only double figures goal scorer for Inter Milan, so kind of did drag them to second place. And, of course, Real Madrid knew all about Ronaldo given his one and only season in La Liga thus far at Barcelona in the 96-97 season. Of course, Europe knew his danger as well. A cup winner's cup winner with Barcelona in 97 as part of that season against PSG, no less. And otherwise, we've got a bit of a dark horse in Spartak Moscow, who had recently had good returns into the Champions League, a couple of knockout stage 
appearances and Sturm Graz under Avicii Ossim, they'd recently won their first trophy here. An Austrian Cup in 1996 and finally, finally an Austrian Bundesliga followed in 1998, which was their first league trophy and Sturm Graz were in and amongst the Champions League for quite some years around the uh, either side of the millennium, really. And this season, we're in European competition again. Anyway, let's get into Group C. The defence of the trophy for Real Madrid was going fantastically well. They were 2-0 winners against Inter Milan. They were leading in Moscow against Spartak until, um, until two late goals from Spartak gave the Russians the lead there. Ilya Sembalat with a absolutely beautiful curling free kick there. And um, Sturm Graz must have pissed Real Madrid right off because they took the lead in both of their matches against Real Madrid. Unfortunately for them, Real Madrid scored 11 past them over the two games and um, reaffirmed themselves and looked to be uh, back in the hunt before the um, before the trip to San Siro on match day five into Milan. Alternatively, they had recovered quite well as well from the opening day loss. Yori Jorkaev was the hero. 90th minute winner against Sturm Graz. Uh, Ronaldo got the winner against Spartak as well. And um, another late goal, Diego Simeone got a, a late leveller in Moscow. Two after his World Cup exploits against David Beckham. More on that one later on. Spartak's 0-0 against Sturm Graz pretty much had the destiny of the group laying in that fifth match day between Real Madrid and Inter Milan. And it was Ivan Zamorano, 1 plus 8, and stayed off with a, a normal number for Real Madrid, a number 10, I think he was at the time. They score fairly early on in the second half. And the, the, the results, as it were, the draw would suit Real Madrid. It kept them top with Spartak Moscow to come and essentially assured of a quarterfinal berth. And then... Roberto Baggio happened, who didn't really have a great time of it in Milan. Um, didn't quite um, get on with the management, but regardless, he scores twice in the final four minutes into Milan, go top into um, into the final day when they take a trip to Graz in Austria. But as all the match day six comings and goings, we'll check that out towards the uh, final part of today's show. The next group we're going to take a look at is Group E, where we have our first English representation and the English champions. Arsenal were coming back off a first league title since 1991 and we've been covering a bit of the Barclays, which is uh, hovering slightly around the similar time frame to this. Arsenal, Arsene Wenger has just, just signed for Arsenal in the latest Barclays episode that we've done, so... Keep an eye out for that one and we'll be covering more on Arsenal in terms of the Premier League as we uh, rumble through that with uh, old Wenger winning the league title and uh, stopping Manchester United again. So Arsenal, they wouldn't be playing their games at Highbury if you watch the uh, any of the highlights for this. They'll be playing their games at Wembley. And uh, meanwhile in their group, you've got Lons, French champions, Dynamo Kiev, who put on an absolute fantastic display in the group phase last time round, but unfortunately got knocked out in the quarterfinals. And we've got Panathinaikos, who are a recent semi-finalists under their belt as well. So it's a very, very tough group that Arsenal found themselves in. Lons, they've been bought, they're bought by Gervais Martel in 1988, were promoted to the top flight in 91 and were pretty domestically competitive um, that came to a head under uh, Daniel Leclerc as uh, manager and their first and 
well, obviously, still their only league title, uh, followed in uh, 98. And uh, they had a Coupe de France final loss to PSG. Um, unfortunately, weren't able to achieve the double there. And Lons were Arsenal's first opponents in the Champions League, their first time back in, well, the first time since the uh, name change from the European Cup and obviously format change. Lons claimed a point in France and late goals were pretty much the bane of Arsenal in this group phase. And to be fair, in this entire campaign, Sergei Rebrov, he scores um, at Wembley for for uh, Dynamo Kiev late on against Arsenal. And in the reverse fixture, Dynamo were far, far more convincing and um, 1-3-1, a bit of a the penalty was very harsh for Rebrov's opener. Um, if you watched the League Cup final last week where Kepa Riva-Balaga gets a big hand on uh, Ibrahima Kanate's penalty, David Seaman does, the, does this with um, Rebrov's penalty, but it just spins, it just rolls over the line and he just can't get there in time. And that pretty much leads to Dynamo Kiev's 3-1 win and they're pretty much on course to achieve what they did the... Um, the previous season and uh, run riot and qualify for the quarterfinals. It's it left a home match though for Arsenal against Lons, um, pretty much an imperative they needed to win um, in order to qualify. Mikael de Beve he um, he would score the winner late on, and um, Arsenal were essentially out before the uh, business end of the group stages, as it were. And um, Dynamo Kiev, they, whilst they weren't impressive as last season in the groups, obviously, Shevchenko's hat-trick against Barcelona. The turnaround against Panathinaikos was um, superb, a 2-1 win there, and it left Lons and Dynamo Kiev both on eight points going into match day six, where Dynamo Kiev would travel to uh, to France, where course we will settle group e on that one but of course more on that one later and the final um part of the first little section here we're going to take a look at group a and a bit of a um well highly competitive group if you think about the uh, the names in there we've got porto and ajax who were the most reputable names and expected to probably be in the top two but as we've seen in recent episodes of Le Grandes Equipes, Olympiakos never write them off, absolutely never write them off. And um, Croatia Zagreb in there as well. We know them now as Dinamo Zagreb, bit of an unknown quantity. Um, they were renamed after Croatian independence. Um, the independence really allowed them to flourish being in the Croatian League as opposed to the Yugoslav League. They'd only had two seasons in the European Cup as part of Yugoslavia in the late 50s and early 80s, but just one tie in the competition proper, which was which was an early loss to sport in Club de Portugal in 1982. Since independence, though, they'd run right in Croatia, won three titles in a row. But um, qualification to the Champions League was lost in qualifiers against Stau Bucharest and Newcastle, and it was third time lucky here. Celtic were overcome in 1998. Meanwhile, they do get a creditable um, draw at home to Ajax, do Croatia Zagreb. Ajax, though, just simply can't get going. They don't score away from home. They lose in Greece, which notorious spot in the uh, late 90s for uh, travelling teams to Olympiakos. But Yari Litmanen's penalty against Porto, very crucial. The reverse against Olympiakos, 1-2-0. So Olympiakos, they tend to do very, very well at home one of those teams that do very well at home, but it sort of all goes to pot away from home. And um, 
Similarly, Porto, they'd thrown a two-goal lead in the final four minutes against Olympiakos on the first match day and just simply never recovered. You got Zlatko Zavic, um, Slovenian, um, pounding in the goals for Porto, but ultimately wasn't enough. He'd score seven, which would be a new Champions League group stage record. Currently, it is 11 with Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, Sebastian Halle went nearly went all the way, didn't he, uh, this, this past uh, season gone. But um, here in in uh, 1998, Zahavich was uh, breaking the record of Yari Littmanen and George Weyer, who scored, and Thierry Henry as well. Um, let's not forget, um, with six goals in the um, in the past few years, and Olympiakos and Croatia Zagreb were simply just happy to be in contention. By the time we get to match day four, Croatia Zagreb popping popping up the table on four points, but it is all all tightly packed together. We've got Ajax on seven, Olympiakos on seven, Porto on four alongside Croatia Zagreb as well. Porto threw it away really. They lose 2-1 in Greece as I said that's um, stereotypically tough trip to Athens there and uh, Porto are out by by the time we get to the final match day and it, it could have set up an a pretty enticing match, the final match day, but for Ajax's 1-0 capitulation against um, Croatia's Zagreb at home. They do have the head-to-head on Olympiakos, three points behind, and um, Olympiakos are away on the final match day. But um, as we said, more on that later. And after this short break, we'll be taking a look at groups D, B and F. We've got the champions of Germany, we have got Juventus, and we've got Manchester United as well as the champions of Spain. So... Stick around. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back. Welcome back to a group of death. And I will posit this. In terms of club football, Group D from the 1998-99 Champions League season is the most deathly group of death. Let's start with Bromby. Fair enough, it's Bromby. Every group of death seems to have a... Sort of lesser team, but Bromby were fairly well versed in European football. Hardly the elite, but competitive enough in UEFA Cups. Peter Schmeichel, formula, formula, former alum. And we've got Barcelona under Louis van Gaal. We have got Bayern Munich under Otmar Hitzfeld. Barcelona champions of Spain, always a threat under Louis van Gaal. Bayern Munich, although they had relinquished the... The Bundesliga, more on that one later, um, and Manchester United had relinquished the Premier League under Sir Alex Ferguson, or rather Alex Ferguson, and um, two very, very good teams, though. Bayern Munich were were well on the way, like Manchester United, on a bit of an obvious path, really, through um, through European football. Took separate, separate um, roads to it, but um, Bayern Munich winning the UEFA Cup in 1996, and doing quite well in the Champions League as well. Meanwhile, United had, had qualified from preliminaries to elimination at the death, really, quarterfinal, semi-final in recent years. And Man United's campaign kicks off to uh, one of the more entertaining starts, that's for sure. They race into a two-goal lead against Barcelona. Barcelona, let's not forget, absolutely hammered them 4-0 in 1994, but obviously the cast and manager from Barcelona back then was obviously completely gone. United as well. They traded in a double winning year of 1994 and all their best players there, the majority of which were gone. Roy Keane, Peter Schmeichel, Giggs, 
the only players really left for United there. Um, and it was a superb game of football. Two penalties for Barcelona to eerie silence at Old Trafford. Meanwhile, that's um, classic David Beckham free kick. And Bayern Munich really capitalised on Peter Schmeichel's sort of lack of fitness. He would retire or rather resign from Manchester United because of the because of the schedule and taking a toll on his body. Schmeichel would have a bit of an error in the uh, Olympia Stadion in Munich as Giovanni Elber equalised there. And um, Schmeichel letting a goal in um, against Bromby as well, but to uh, to less less consequences because United put 11 goals beyond Bromby, which made things a bit more respectable for United going into the uh, return fixtures against Barca and, uh, and Bayern there with eight points from four. Bromby's dramatic late win helped United as well to an extent with a win over Bayern Munich there on match day one. A dramatic turnaround and uh, not the last time that Bayern Munich would fall foul to one of those, would it? And um, essentially, the group hinged on Bayern Munich versus Barcelona on match days three and four. Stefan Effenberg, who would be a bit of an MVP for Bayern this season, he'd score the winner in Munich. Hasan Salihamidzic would score the late winner in uh, Barcelona as well, so it left... It left Man United top of the table going into the uh, going into the camp now, and another. I mean, <laughs> man, this season for Manchester United was it was an incredible season, barely if ever repeated by a whole host of clubs. But the the matches and the entertainment on show was incredible, and obviously that could be encapsulated here against Barcelona in these two ties, six six on aggregate, as it were. Rivaldo absolutely immense. At home here, United would lead though to one and three to the um, the famous Andy Cole and Dwight York link up that that uh, partnership in an absolute microcosm there. And Ferguson was finally getting his his desire to outplay a great team on their own patch in Europe, but ultimately it would lead to only a draw. And Bayern Munich's win over Bromby, of course, means that um, Man United still need to get a win over Bayern Munich at home going into the final game and if if they draw if they draw again um it means that they have to be looking over the shoulder for other group stage results and let's uh, let's have a look at the final two groups that we've not covered first of all Juventus Juventus they were in the hunt for a fifth year for final in a row well, I think by this point I think we've covered Juve the fall and rise under Trapattoni and Lippi at this stage in the uh, Le Grandes Equipes um, lineage. They've got a pretty tough on the surface, really. Galatasaray, Rosenborg, athletic club as well. Um, you'll be depressed to learn that our boy Harold Bratback is gone from Rosenborg, which is a shame, really. But if you were listening last time out, Sigurd Rushfeldt, who we name-dropped last time out, was pretty decent. He's the main man now. He's... He goes on, he does far more exceeds what Bratback ever did in the Champions League. I'm not too sure about the Norwegian Tippelwagen, but uh, there we go. Uh, meanwhile, Galatasaray, they always bring that special something and they've got they've got a very, an incredibly good cast of players here. Hakan Suka, Umit Deval, Georgie Hadji as well. And a bit of a surprise name in Athletic Club as well after they finished second behind Barcelona. Um, they've had defeats to the likes of 
Bordeaux, Liverpool, Man United on their resume in the European Cup, but they've not been back to the European Cup, of course, since since their heyday in the early to mid-80s. In 1984 was the last time they were in the European Cup. And the I'd say from those four, Juventus were the clear favourites, although there is, I, I admit that um, Athletic Club would be a, a decent team to probably face. Galatasaray and Rosenborg away from home, banana skins if ever I'd seen one, but Juve put in... Perhaps one of the most bizarre group phase performances you're ever likely to see and still qualify. Um, they salvage a point against Galatasaray. They peg, they get pegged back by uh, Rosenborg to a 1-1. They can't score in Bilbao and, and an own goal bails them out of the reverse 1-1. So four games we've had for Juventus and they've drawn all four. But luckily, luckily the... Um, they get bailed out by the other teams just taking points off one another. They should have had their first win on the board in Istanbul as well, but they fall late to uh, Suat Kaya. So you've got five games, five draws. They should be out really, but um, Rosenborg, like Juventus did, conspired to draw both of those games. And in the Galatasaray-Rosenborg games, they just take wins off each other. Your boy Sigurd Rushfeldt bags a hat-trick for Rosenborg against Galatasaray at home. And um, Georgie Hadry's injury time winner at Athletic Club looks as though it could be a bit of a sealer for Galatasaray to go through. Juve um, a third in the group, yet still have a glimmer of hope. And um, they've only got five points. So um, we'll check in with that uh, in, the, in the next part. But first, we've got to look at Group F, the much forgotten Group F. We've got Kaiserslautern, we've got Benfica, PSV Eindhoven and HJK Helsinki. Bit of a probably the weakest group in the in the um, in the draw. Let's be honest. But in Benfica and PSV, you've got teams who did make up the 1988 European Cup final. You've got teams though, that are, are very far behind the competition back home in Porto and Ajax, respectively. But in terms of um, qualifiers, they were too strong for the likes of Baitar, Jerusalem, and um, and Maribor. HJK set. HJK Helsinki as well. They also squeezed through a bit unexpectedly against Mets of, um, of France and uh, Kaiserslautern, of course. Qualify because they stunned German football by winning their second Bundesliga title in the 90s. Their previous Champions League game was, or rather European Cup game, was a uh, was a defeat to Barcelona in understandable circumstances. It was the dream team year, of course. Um Kaiserslautern had been ever present, or almost ever present, in the European Cup, mainly in the in the old Cup Winners Cup or UEFA Cup, but ultimately did did very little. Really, they had a few last thirty two eliminations. Probably the best they did was in the ninety two ninety three UEFA Cup, where they bowed out to Ajax in the last sixteen as they were trying to uh, trying to defend their trophy under Louis van Gaal in the early ten years of his time. So Kaiserslautern, they got their points on the board relatively early. They're doing the anti-Juve here. They were very, very impressive against Benfica from what I'd seen. A draw in Finland, I think. I mean, that could be exclu- excusable. Um, I've not got a, an entire breadth of knowledge on Finnish football, but I imagine it that it's a very difficult place to go if you're not accustomed to the climate. Benfica, again, they lost there. So, I mean, Kaiserslautern, very good returns. They also beat PSV home and away, which was pretty much... The um, the sickener for their opponents there because Kaiserslautern they could have had qualification wrapped up a game early in Lisbon, 
But Nuno Gomez and João Pinto, they, they combined to deadly effect in a couple of games in the group phase, and they did at home to PSV, uh, home to uh, yeah, home to PSV here. But uh, there we are. It did leave a, a little bit of a shred of doubt for the um, for the Germans to qualify, but they only needed points, and they had HJK Helsinki at home on match day six. And going into match day six, not a single team had qualified. You've got Ajax, they need a win and they need Olympiakos to lose and the three points behind them. Well, obviously Olympiakos only need a point. Meanwhile, Croatia Zagreb have got a cat in hell's chance of getting through. Meanwhile, in Group B, you've got uh, Juventus in third on five points, Rosenborg and Galatasaray on eight. So Juve need to beat Rosenborg and hope Galatasaray lose. Galatasaray just need to match Rosenborg's results. Um... And Rosenborg have a pretty decent chance. They just need to beat Juventus, which is no mean feat at all. A Group C seems to be between Real Madrid and Inter Milan, split by just a point. Uh, Real Madrid just simply needs a better Inter Milan's result. Spartak Moscow need a whole host of things to go their way, which, let's be honest, isn't going to happen. And in Group D, whoever wins the Bayern Munich Manchester United match at Old Trafford is through Bayern Munich, although they only need a point to go through as group winners and Manchester United. Need a win to be absolutely sure, although Bayern Munich probably will be safe, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? Anyway, Group E, we've got Dynamo Kiev on 8 points, Lons on 8 points, Panathinaikos on 6 and Arsenal on 5. So, no, Arsenal can't qualify because Dynamo Kiev and Lons are playing each other and it would take some goal swing for them to take the second place on uh, goal difference, but uh, there we are. So, if there's a draw between Dynamo Kiev and Lons, which is the only way Panathinaikos can go through, Panathinaikos need to win against Arsenal, make up that goal difference. They've got minus one compared to Dynamo Kiev's plus two and Lons's plus one. So it's not going to happen, is it? Let's be honest. And as we just said, Kaiserslautern need a point and uh, at home to Helsinki there and uh, Benfica need a win in Eindhoven and HJK Helsinki to win, which on the face of what we've seen from the group so far, ain't going to happen. So after this short break, we're going to take a look at the final match day and we're going to take a look at the knockout phase. Who will be victorious? Will Juventus have a fifth UEFA final in a row or will we have a new champion for once? Well, we'll find out after this short break. Welcome back. We may as well kick off with the uh, second place team standings here. So Man United and Real Madrid occupy the second place or qualifiers for the quarterfinals there. Are both on nine points, both on plus nine. Meanwhile, we've got Lons and Rosenborg on eight. Ajax and Benfica on seven. And a whole myriad of permutations that I just won't get into because we just do not have the time here today. So in Group A, we had... Porto defeat Ajax 3-0, but ultimately that doesn't mean that means that Ajax can't get through. It also ultimately means that Olympiakos are through because a point for the Greek team in Zagreb is enough to confirm their place in the quarterfinals. And just as they did last year, Juventus squeaked through. Last year it was minutes on the board seconds even here it's a bit more comfortable you got um, Inzaghi and Amoruso scoring the goals still didn't um, guarantee anything for Juve but ultimately they top the group with eight points which um, is embarrassing Galatasaray lose 1-0 in uh, in Bilbao results 
simply couldn't have gone better and um, eight points wouldn't have been enough in second. So it's a good job that Galatasaray didn't get anything in Bilbao there and Juventus progress to the quarterfinals as well. Meanwhile, we've got Real Madrid and Inter Milan wins, which um, which puts both of those teams through. And in Group D, we've got Manchester United drawing, thanks to Hassan Salahamazic's uh, second half goal for Bayern Munich. It leaves United quite nervously awaiting results from elsewhere, one of which isn't Kaiserslautern's 5-2 win at home to HJK Helsinki, which puts them through quite comfortably. Meanwhile, PSV and Benfica's draw... Helps absolutely nobody and uh, Benfica, like Galatasaray, like Croatia Zagreb, on eight points, not enough. Which leaves Lons versus Dynamo Kiev. And since since uh, Galatasaray didn't get a win, since Croatia Zagreb didn't get a win, Manchester United were effectively through because a draw would have been fine for them to uh, qualify and somebody had to lose if there was... Uh, a win or a loss, Man United were through anyway. And Dynamo Kiev took the final quarterfinal berth because of uh, Vashuk and Shevchenko's goals late on. Benfica, they would have qualified if um, they could have scored 11 goals, but uh, obviously that wasn't going to happen. They drew 2-2. Anyway, let's get to the quarterfinals. We have got Manchester United, Inter Milan, Juventus, Olympiacos, Real Madrid, Dynamo, Kiev, and an all-German tie again, as we did last time round, Bayern Munich versus Kaiserslautern. Now let's go to a bit of an Italian job. I think that's what the treble DVD marks it up as in the section there when they get to March here. It is the Italian job, part one, Inter Milan, and United blow Inter away. Beckham to York, that was a desired combination. It worked so well all season. A bit of a different step here against Inter Milan, but it continued. And I'll say, apart from Bronby, it was the easiest home game United had had all season in the Champions League. It could have very easily been 2-1, but for Diego Simeone's handball before he sticks it in the net, obviously this was the reunion between Simeone and Beckham, who... Cross paths, let's say, in the in the World Cup the previous year for between Argentina and England. Um, San Siro, though, much more difficult occasion. Ivan Zamorano, one plus eight. He had um, one plus eight chances across two legs. It was absolutely immense. But Peter Schmeichel was immense, and he had that famous starfish save off a diving header off Zamorano, and he, Zamorano, the Chilean. Missed chance after chance back in Italy, as did Nicola Ventola as well. But uh, Ventola did stick a goal away in the second half. Ronaldo had returned a little bit off the back of injury, but he wasn't much threat. Baggio Neva, really, and um, United booked their place, made it assured because of the away goal that Inter Milan needed in the first leg, really, but did not get. Andy Cole with a lovely cushion header. Paul Scholes sticks it away, and they awaited the winner. Of Juventus and Olympiacos. Juventus, the team that Gary Neville did not want to face. If you uh, have seen his interview after the Bayern Munich draw, where he's dismayed that Juventus qualified. And Juventus were left with a niggling doubt going into the second leg because Niniaidis, his penalty for Olympiacos, left Olympiacos with a away goal. They'd lost 2-1, admittedly, but... Um, but they still had the chance there, especially going to that um, vaunted difficult place to go in Athens. Um, Olympiacos had a pretty good chance of getting to the semi-final to go and meet Manchester United, as unrealistic as that sounds. Um, 
I wouldn't put it in one of my what-ifs, for example, uh, but there we are. Pippo Inzaghi in that game did score one of the more finer goals of the of the Champions League season. Zinedine Zidane-like volley into the uh, into the top corner, a la 2002 final. And inside 12 minutes, Gogic scored for Olympiakos, which on away goals was putting Juventus out as it stood. But as in the group phase last year, they came within five minutes of elimination, but it was Antonio Conte to score the equaliser, putting Juventus through 3-2 on aggregate. And he was helped immeasurably by the goalkeeping who um, left him with an open net, um, came to punch a clearance, came to punch a cross rather, and um, flapped it, Conte sticks it in Juventus through to meet Barcelona. And after 90 minutes of searching for an away goal, for Inter Milan, Juventus didn't take them long at all. Antonio Conte springs an offside trap, scores in mere minutes. Um, Gianluca Passetto should have had um, a second before the break as well. But it was a bit like 1997 with a manic end with Ryan Giggs scoring late on in as well. And Teddy Sheringham thinks he's made it 2-1, um, which would have still put the onus back on Juventus going back to Turin. But it was ruled out offside quite rightly, although it was a bit of a late call, I seem to remember. But... All that, none of it mattered because Juventus scored two goals early on in Turin. Pippo Inzaghi scored one fluke and one uh, was classic Inzaghi, let's put it that way. And um, it left United with two goals needed. And up steps Roy Keane, up steps captain's performance, captain's goal as well. The header from the uh, from the corner, cameras right behind it, absolutely beautiful view. And in spite of Keane and then Roy, um, and then Paul Scholes coming off the bench, they both get booked. It means they're out for the final. But regardless, Dwight York, he comes in with a head of that Beckham-York combination again to deadly effect for United. Beckham would have the most assists in this season. York would have the most goals. And um, Andy Cole would round Angelo Peruzzi in the final seven minutes to, uh, to make it 3-2, to make it full steam ahead. Barcelona, who would they meet? Well... It wouldn't be Real Madrid. It would not be Real Madrid. Dynamo Kiev did to Real what they did to Barcelona the previous year. Shevchenko scored all three over two legs. One in the Bernabeu to put them ahead. And um, in a 1-1 draw, they took them back to Kiev, won there. And it meant they meet a German team in the semi-finals. Bayern or the champions, Kaiserslautern, who would quite quickly relinquish their crown as uh, Bayern were gunning for a treble. They had a, a DFB Pokal final in, in June. They'd won the league. They were after the second part of that um, that treble there. Giovanni Elber and Stefan Effenberg, the MVPs, as I said earlier, they scored both goals in the, uh, in the first leg and inside 20 minutes of the return. Same story in Kaiserslautern. Carsten Jank, <laughs> he chucks himself to the floor. Um, it's pretty, it's nailed on, not a penalty, um, and uh, yeah, a bit of a tumble there. But uh, Effenberg's penalty, and then Janka scores the um, diving header uh, to make it two. And uh, to be fair, Kaiserslautern weren't going to score five, so it was game over. The last time they'd scored five against Bayern Munich, 1978. And in the end, they lost 4-0 here. Uve Rosler, who'd scored a couple in the group stages, because scored a bit of a freakish own goal there for the third one, which meant it was Dynamo Kiev. Versus Bayern Munich, where Andrei Shevchenko was putting in the kind of performance that's warranted that he 
warranted his transfer pretty much in the summer of 99. Eventually, AC Milan would come in for him, wouldn't he? Um, But before he left, the parting gift was two goals at home against Bayern Munich in the semi-final. Composed curl into the bottom corner, then a deft-headed flick from a set-piece. Kozowski scored two, so Bayern Munich were 3-1 down in this game. And then, unfortunately for the Ukrainians, in the final 12 minutes... um, Stefan Effenberg curls a really cheeky free kick. He's, he's on a bit of an angle. The wall isn't right. If it was right, it'd get cleared, admittedly. But he still has to curl it round there, and it curls it in at the near post. Inch perfect, had to be. And then um, Karsten Janka just simply rolls the defender. Easy finish. A bit of like a Romelu Lukaku finish of um, recent memory, really. Well, not recent memory, because he didn't score too much, does he? Haha, <laughs> that's a Romelu Lukaku modern J joke. Anyway... It left Bayern Munich with the advantage in Munich after a 3-3 draw, and it was Mario Basler who scored the winner in the second leg, scoring just just at the same time as Manchester United drew ahead on away goals in Turin. Great curling shot from Basler as well um, into the postage stamp, and his next goal for Bayern would be, of course, of course, in the Camp Nou. In the final against Manchester United, 1-0 up inside five minutes. And Bayern Munich, by by the hour mark, they should have had three, maybe four goals. Carsten Jankar's hatfuls of chances, hits the bar. Mehmet Scholl chips Peter Schmeichel and he hits the post. And you're just wondering there, me as a six-year-old, it was like my world was crashing down as a United fan. Um Wondering where that United goal was going to come. Obviously, no key, no skulls. You've got Beckham and Nicky Butt in the middle of the park. You've got Jesper Blomqvist on the left, Ryan Giggs on the right. Substitutes, though, change it all. You've got um, Sheringham and Solskjaer coming on. You've got David Beckham going out to the right. Things changed instantly. Sheringham gets a chance because of David Beckham's work on the right. And instantly, United are pushing more. More, more wider and they they do get the two corners because of that and of course the two corners lead to two goals and then two goals came after the stoppage time board was lifted up and depending on who you ask it's the the greatest Champions League comeback in the final of all time now I say depending on who you ask we'll find out in the 2004-05 season of La Grande as he keeps if, the, if that is if that is right, when we look at um, the Istanbul final. But there we are. That's all we've got time for on today's show. We have seen Manchester United win the treble by stealing the treble away from Bayern Munich and Bayern themselves would would lose the Pokal final heartbroken still over the Champions League final themselves. So they would only walk away with the league. Meanwhile, it's arguably the greatest achievement in English football, I would say anyway. But that's me being biased. Next week, the Champions League's still here. We've still got the uh, the remaining four games of the last 16. So we're going to take a look at another episode, another season of the Champions League. 1999-2000 of Le Grandes Equipes. We're up in the ante again. It's not 16 teams. It's not 24 teams. Yes, we're up to 32 teams. Two group stages. That's a lot of football to watch and we'll be back here same time next Wednesday on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thank you very much for listening, for supporting the channel if you do. Thank you and until next time, silly.
Social Podcast Network.